All right, welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans kicking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place, and my co-hosts are intoxicated. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. We've got the legendary game master, uh, sometimes writer, all-around decent army guy, uh, Walt Robillard. And I probably butchered the pronunciation, but we're going to go with it. And you forgot penciler. Penciler, yep, and inker and colorist. All-around artist. Yep. The uh, but as far as my name goes, um, I answer to any iteration of my name as long as it's close enough. Uh, because as uh, one ranger instructor told me, um, your parents taught you wrong. So <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with it. Well, I've been saying my name all my life, but what do I know? Yep, exactly. Oh, I wasn't gonna challenge him. He was oh, he was skinny yeah. and angry, probably food deprived. I didn't I didn't want him to bite me. And popped up on. Uh, pre-workout and protein oh that was a that wasn't a thing before uh when i was I in uh because they i mean uh i joined just before they put the candle in the window for paul revere's ride so uh, <laughs> they didn't have pre-workout now and this is the same walt who's always giving us such wonderful feedback to the boys <laughs> to the to the what to the boys they are and nick oh like uh, what, what kind of feedback am i giving Mostly it's uh, just a shake my head emoji. And <laughs> <laughs> like, Walt's going to yell at us. And I'm like, he never yells at me. Hey, freak Muppet, stop talking over your damn guest. <laughs> With more vulgarity in- included. But, you know, this is a family friendly show. Walt's always nice yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Now that we've rambled all over left field, uh, let's try to drive it home. Walt, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Kung Fu homeboy with uh, delusions of granola, and that's about usually all I say. It's fitting; it works. What 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 do you do with your granola? Yogurt, um, ice cream, what? I try and keep it away from the seventy pound flying chainsaw that's behind me uh, that I currently have entertained with a Kong toy full of frozen kibble, packed in with a um, a frozen piece of dog treat, so he can't get it out, and he's got he's got to crack it all. In order to get it, because um, that dog just chews. It's gonna take about what twenty minutes to get to it. Uh, yeah, if that. Um, he's looking at me like right now, like, bro, you better get something ready because this is, I'm gonna be all over this mess. <laughs> it's like, well, you got like twenty minutes before I turn into a totally different dog. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. That one he time we angry. found him. Um, he doesn't get angry. He just gets um, he gets bored, so he starts like doing things like climbing on the refrigerator. Um, Finding his way outside so that he can climb on the roof. Did um, he eat the wall one time? My dad's the, dog did that. Yeah, that was my other dog, actually. Uh, I had a black lab with separation anxiety, and I came back, and there's drywall everywhere. The dog is covered in white, and it's like, it was like, I went to find you. You weren't here. It was awful. <laughs> I would have definitely taken a picture and put it with the, uh, the photo library I have on Facebook that says my dogs are a-holes. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, that was the the current one's a hole moment. Was um, my wife was right in the middle of chemotherapy, and um, you know, you when you go through those kind of drugs, they they have a t- tendency to take a lot out of you. And um, he decides he's gonna try and either do one of the uh, the three F's to um, this poodle across the street, and dragged my wife across three lawns. Oh. Wow. <laughs> So I was like, yeah, your ass is getting trained now, bro. Uh, introduction to a prong collar 
he was like, he was like, yeah, I don't like this. You shouldn't have dragged your mom across three lawns. That's what you get for being a 70 pound murder missile. Mm -hmm. Yep. But the best part about this dog is when people say, well, ask what kind it is. And I tell them and they always go, well, uh, what? <laughs> it's Belgian, the same yeah. Yeah. A Belgian. <laughs> and one kid at the pet store was like, mom, we need a Belgian mama. Ma. <laughs> we're not we're not bringing a a fur rocket into this house right at right. that size no well that's how we got that's how we got him because um the uh we had a german shepherd uh purebred german shepherd we got him from germany straight line german shepherd so he didn't have that stupid american slope in the back that ends up with like bad hips and hip dysplasia and all that and uh the dog came My down with the... you just hurt her feelings <laughs> the, uh, it's not the... supposed to be like that <laughs> the, the dog came down with an aneurysm and she passed away well a friend of mine uh trains belgian malinois for for the army and he says hey man i got two dogs here that failed for weight and i'm like no 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 no. you are not putting those hurricanes in my house i've seen what a six-month-old malinois looks like that's a four-year-old on meth looking for cookies no way <laughs> so i think that sounds awesome oh it's oh it's awesome all right they uh, failed for i mean that's why we love well they were they were they were a little on the light side so they didn't bulk up enough to kind of uh to kind of get uh into that percentage so yeah, they're totally, you know, the hat, a lot of stuff rolls off. <laughs> oh my! I, I've been in the suit when the army, um, just some extracurricular activities I was assigned for maybe talking when I should have shown up. And I actually got to wear the, the suit and get chased by the MP dogs. And I was telling Walt that story. Uh, it was fun. I actually asked to go back and I was telling Walt that story and he goes, that's because they were MP dogs, not mine. They'd have eaten through the suit and eaten you. They would have worn your head as like a hat. Probably. Yeah, all so. of my dogs, when they go after the suit, look at me and go, which F am I going <laughs> to fight it, feed off it? or And he's just like, well, family show. Uh, <laughs> one of each, maybe? We, we try. We or do the try. above, secret option D. So yeah. how did you guys get tangled up with Walt, JR, Nick? Thank you for bringing us back on track before I go. <laughs> so, she's the wino. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've so been I, told that I've been subtle before. So I actually found Walt through the Galaxy's Edge fan club when we started it. And he joined us. And then somehow he got roped into doing all the things for Jason and Nick. And sometimes they even pay him, I'm sure. <laughs> I've heard it's going to happen one of these days. Eventually, maybe. Until then, I did send coffee, though. So. You did send coffee. Yeah. That's, that's for your wife. I didn't want her to kill you. Yep. Yeah. She, um, she does not like my extracurricular activities. So none of them. So she's like, you need to sleep sometime. These like 23 hour work days are going to, going to go kill you. Yeah. Sleep is for the week. That's right. It's a crutch. Don't lean on it. I'm told that when you're dead, you get to sleep for a while. I'm told. So the, the cool thing is we actually got our co-host Nick from Walt because we were looking for a replacement. So Nick, I bet your story, since you knew him first, is even more epic. So so why don't you tell us how you found the one, the only, the Waltster? Actually, Walt found me. He is a huge supporter of a little indie book that I wrote called The Phantom Hawk and drew it. And uh, next thing you know, he's like, hey, man, I really dig your book. I've run a thing called the Banff podcast little little name drop there and i was like i'd like to have you on talk about your stuff and best friends ever since 
I'm pretty sure that was it. I don't know. I have a lot of brain damage. <laughs> I'm probably forgetting like the funny stuff of the story, but it's just it's what five six years. Yeah, it's been five, it's been a couple. It's been like a minute that. now, you know. Yeah. But the 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 one thing I always enjoy is the five a.m. call from Nick. Well, it's 5 a.m. for you. Yeah, it's 5 a.m. for me. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, bro, bro, bro. You will never guess what happened today. And then I'm like, I'm like, all right, tell me. Exactly oh, you, you have to guess. And then it's 20 minutes of trying to figure stuff out. So no, that's not it either. <laughs> Keep going. You're getting warmer. There's all a, right, Doc. There's a mute button. This is why I turn off my phone. It's like, all right, I'm just going to tell you, you're never going to guess. I told you, you're never going to guess. Oh, no. He, when he calls me, I'm at work. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> do, do your coworkers laugh when he calls? Like, oh, it's him again? No, I, I, take, it in, I take it in the I, office. It's, I it's send like, a courtesy text like, hey, man, you, you got a few minutes? And I, can just, <laughs> I, can, I can almost feel it on the air. He's like, oh, God, this idiot's drunk again. <laughs> yeah, sure. What you got, brother? <laughs> oh, no, I hit that, I hit that, uh, I hit that connect button right away. You know, you send me, you send me an SOS, man. The only thing I need to know is uh, what kind of coffee do I need to be drinking? And uh, do I need to bring a shovel? Fair so enough. far, we haven't gotten a shovel coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's because the IRS isn't due yet. Yeah. Um, so, Doc, how did you first find the legendary game designer, Walt Robillard? Through you, doofus. You, know that. <laughs> you were supposed to make shit up. Like, no. oh, we want to Nobody's going to believe that I've actually met him in person. Oh, no true. one's going to bring light to the fact that uh, JR just used a no-no word. Ooh. What are you talking about? Oh, boy. It's on now. It's He's on like, now. I'm done with that thing. You guys are five minutes in, and it's like, dude, don't use that. No, don't use that word. Don't use it. So, no, um, I we've mostly just chatted through Facebook. Walt has said that he wants to come to a con with me, and I've I've given him the three. I'm doing next year: Liberty Con, Dragon Con, and Fantasy. So, see you in Chattanooga, awesome. North Carolina, or Atlanta. Um, yeah, probably Atlanta or North Carolina. So, it'll be fun. Uh, as long as I don't have to go to the con, I can just hang out for dinner and stuff later. Well, just you just have to show up for the parties and the drinking part. I'm down. See, well, I, never, I never attend the panels, anyways. When is that? Because I, I, like, <laughs> I like drinking yeah. dinner. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll settle this off air so so your stalkers don't show up in Legion. Because um, I'd hate to watch somebody get you know their face stomped in because they got too close. In Legion, for eleven minutes. All right, so Doc, you got to ask him the the religion question so we get to see if he sticks around. Star Wars, Star, Star Wars, Stargate, or Firefly? Star Wars, Stargate, or, St or Firefly? No. Wow. It is, this has changed since the last time I've been on. Um, you should be a Trek question. Yeah. Star Trek, if, you, if Star Trek's your jam, you can put answer Star Trek. No, I have too much self-respect for uh, hey. space uniforms and tights. Um, Spandex is your fan. <laughs> um, I grew up as a Star Wars kid, so like that was my jam. That was my jam. Firefly was one of those flashes in the pan that I absolutely loved, um, and I was kind of depressed that. Um, Don't tell their it, fandom that they still think it's on. Right, I, I was kind of depressed that it didn't it's go. It's going to happen any year now. But um, I was kind of looking back on it. I think that it got just the right amount of exposure 
because as that piece of nostalgia now, it, it, it kind of fits the way that it worked. And Stargate is a little weird just because you have the way that the movie worked and then the way that the TV show worked. So while it was interesting while it was on, um, a lot of those episodes don't age well. So you get that kind of like that like goofy sci-fi channel vibe to it where it's I like love it. it is good. I mean, it was and especially it was good for its time on a Saturday. You know, you just get you just get done uh, uh, with like four rounds of full contact scrabble down at the dojo. You're grabbing something to eat real quick, kick your feet up. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes the Stargate stuff. And, uh, you, you know, you just you you just chilling. It was a, it was a good time while it was on. But um, yeah. I, I recently watched a few of the episodes and it was like, yeah, this is definitely a product of its time. I think I will always be a sucker for Samantha Carter, though. Yes. So did you yes. like the uh, Stargate Universe, the SGU? It was okay. It, it wasn't It wasn't my favorite. I liked Atlantis more than I liked uh, Stargate Universe. Atlantis, um, had really, Atlantis had one of my favorite per- people on it. Who's you, that? Want to, you want to see me tick off an entire fan base? Mimosa. Okay, the Stargate Universe, I hold in the same regard as I hold Sharknado movies. <laughs> <laughs> you are a heathen, sir. Where is the kick button? The one thing that really irks me about universe. Don't be the second person we get hate mail over, Nick. Yeah. So I I get the, uh, oh, we're going to finish the story in this graphic novel. And you get the graphic novel and it's a cliffhanger too. Like you sons of. Always leave them wanting more. And I did not pick up book three because I was so pissed off. Was it the author literally wrote to be continued? (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. That's brutal. I was like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm not. I'm not reading this. I'm done." All right. So now you get to ask him the next one and just pick pick your three. Okay, Jr. You're so messed up. Dragonlance, Wheel of Time, or Lord of the Rings. Ooh, that's tough. So Lord of the Rings and then Dragonlance as a close second. Um, but uh, Wheel of Time, I actually didn't enjoy. Um, I, I really I didn't. I knew I liked Walt. I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, I thought it was overly wordy, a little too, a little too involved in itself. I, I just, I, I don't know. I know Robert Jordan is an amazing, amazing author, but um, I, I just, I, I really didn't enjoy it. So, but yeah, definitely uh, uh, Tolkien number one, uh, just because it's, um, it, it is like the gold standard because it's got everything in it. Um, and then um, Dragonlance, I, I, I really enjoyed because I was on deployment when I read it. And it was one of those things where you, um, you know, you, you already finished Lord of the Rings and you just, you were looking for something else. But then, uh, yeah, um, I don't know what, <laughs> you guys are doing weird stuff in the chat. Um, but the uh, Dragonlance was a really, really, really cool um it took Dungeons and Dragons and kind of elevated it to a level that wasn't so uber nerdy, you know, um, it it had, um, great characters, memorable characters, stories, one of the most crushing deaths, death scenes, uh, since stuff in Lord of the Rings. So you felt the impact of what was going on. It was, it was, I enjoyed it. Um, but, but I enjoyed the first two trilogies after that, it was like, let's write a book every week, guys. And I, I oh, couldn't no. get I couldn't get I into think, it. I think that's really hard to maintain quality when a series starts fast producing like that. And also you can run into fan exhaustion. Yeah. 
Marvel looking at you. <laughs> I thought that's, that's why they did everything as comics because they were fast and easy to produce. I mean, Nick's going to hurt. Well, me. They, they are too, but <laughs> you start losing uh, quality. Um, that, that's, you know, and that's why I love the indie stuff. They, they take their time in it and you get a fully involved and developed story with quality artwork, you know, where Marvel's like, Hey, what is your political stance? You're hired. Hop on. You can't draw? Not a problem. We got a great colorist. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty sure they're related, but not the same thing. Um, I know that colorists do one job, inkers do another job. I have been listening. So, Nick, I, if you need a guy, I can draw some mean stick figures. I'm just saying. I'm going to put that so, out there. Uh, that's I'm actually what? developing powerful ultra mega stick man which is going to be a weekly comic and you're you're going to be the lead artist <laughs> okay so and I, will, I will pay you in uh pesos lint, lint. <laughs> or pesos <laughs> worth the same and cheetos are on sale at costco oh those are way too expensive for jr <laughs> probably and you know okay, so well, what is your favorite thing sci-fi or fantasy which was your first love Fantasy, my first love. Uh, science fiction is um, the love I discovered later. So, okay. yeah. So, so I what's one lasting love? Yeah, toward love affair, whatever. Birds. Yeah. But, um, so, what's your first uh, first memory of of it of the genre then of speculative fiction? Uh, you mean like sci-fi? Yeah. Uh, going to see Star Wars in the theater. Um, well, no, excuse me. The Star Wars commercial on my grandmother's uh, like 12 inch TV, and then looking at my grandfather and saying, We need to see that, and him slapping me in the face, telling me it was communist garbage. No. So, what was your first memory of fantasy? Because speculative fiction actually includes both. That's why I try to use that term. And fantasy. Down. Yeah, fantasy um, was. Sound smart. <laughs> I read the Conan novels by Howard. Ooh. And I watch, loved them. Did you watch the movie Schwarzenegger? I, I did. Um, and then um, uh, Frank Frazetta at the time did this amazing painting. And um, they did a five, six novel run about the, the guy in the painting. And now if you find the books at all, you can only find them in hard copy and they go for no less than, uh, I think the first one you can get for about 68 bucks. Oh, good guys. Nice. Uh, incredibly hard to find. Um, but it was along that like same Conan vibe. Um, and then, um, uh, and then of course I found, uh, uh, Robert Salvatore or Bob Salvatore, you know, depending on, you know, what your, what your slant on that is. And, uh, his Icewind Dale trilogy, which before they turned, uh, you know, uh, Dritz Jordan into this, uh, sparkly little dancing elf guy with two swords. Uh, he was, he was a straight up killer and it was, it was a good series. I really enjoyed it. So if you're a Conan fan, does, did you read Nick, uh, Cole's Conan, um, play on cyberpunk in the red rocket in the red rocket anthology yeah yeah it was good i kind of yeah, want more of that right strange company instead i'm like no no you need to come back to this no strange company was good too though strange company <laughs> has some serious like if you haven't read that and, and, oh, I have. it, and <laughs> you, you definitely should especially if you know anybody who's murked at all you know because uh like the murk life is is uh, on display in this novel and it's it's gloriously fantastic 
we did some Merc. Uh, we escorted some Mercs. Well, I guess they escorted us, however you want to look at it. I thought we were more important, clearly. But uh, I just remember being incredibly jealous that they were making like three times as much as we were. Yes, but, you know, there, there, there's always a trade-off because... Um, there is no Merc Veteran Day. There is no Merc Day. And um, if they get captured, um, the State Department will not negotiate for their release. You have to do that yourself. Um, they don't get any health benefits. So if you are shot, injured, battered, beaten, or have your feelings hurt while in country, you have to deal with that yourself. You have to pay for that yourself. Wait, wait. But do people care about their feelings? Because nobody really cares about a soldier's feelings. No, they do. Well, when they come back, there's all that touchy feely uh, uh, interviews you got to do with like psych oh, shit, and all so that gross. stuff. That's right? It's like 70%. Yeah. It's like, how did you feel when you came back? I'm like, I had to pee. Uh, <laughs> how did this you is feel why we like people? You had to fade another human being. It was a recoil. Mostly. Yeah, yeah, recoil. So, but I need my therapist to listen to you guys because she'll think I'm normal again. <laughs> oh, yeah, she yeah. looks at me and she's like, "Are you email. okay?" And I'm like, "I'm allergic to feelings." Dot, and I want them to die. I'll just send them my psyche eval so they know what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. Fair and enough. I'll just, I'll just send them Jr. psyche eval so that I, they'll just stop calling me. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I, I learned the hard way that the shrinks actually have like a little button under their desk at the VA that if they think you're a little too crazy, but that's another story for another podcast when we're not sober, or at least when I'm not sober. So instead, we're going to move the question back to back to science fiction because I happen to have heard a rumor that a guy I, we might know had written a book about something. So what is it you love about science fiction as a genre? I love the fact that um, almost anything is possible and that... Um, it, it has a tendency to inspire imagination. And that's why when you ask the original question, you know, what was your first love? Um, you know, you never get over your first love, but at the same time, that love you discover later is all the more intense because you knew what that first love felt like. Um, and that's, that's what it, science fiction is for me because there's, there's, um, there's things in science fiction that will kind of jog that little, that little, uh, stone or the the pit or or the spike that's keeping the rock from rolling down and causing an avalanche of ideas. You know, if you knock out that one spike and that avalanche of ideas comes rolling out, you never know what you're going to get. And now, like, one of my friends that I used to train with, who we always thought was, like, you know, kind of like a frumpy dude and we never really gave him a thought, he, he now works for NASA and he's developing nanotechnologies to cycle the power cells of batteries so that one single battery can last for 120 years. You know, and that's stuff that he saw in, like, a Star Trek episode one time and it just blew his mind so i mean like if you, we have ipads now I mean, yep yep those data pads from star trek the next yeah. generation everybody was was like yeah we can do that with current technology um the japanese are formulating cell phone that is made from clear plastic yes but uh, more importantly they're building gundams Yes, they are building Gundams. That is more important than you know. cell phones from clear plastic. And they had the this robot. This is why we keep you around, Doc. Yep, and they had the robot. The robot smack battle uh, with the United States, um, which we lost because, you know, they're Japanese. Really? And 
Yeah. So, um, but I mean, you know, the, the great thing about science fiction is there are things in there that can, that can kind of jog a piece of your mind into thinking in a way that you didn't really think before so that people can take those, those aspects of these amazing stories and kind of push them into real life. And, you know, we benefit from that as a society. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we don't benefit from something like TikTok, you know, that's just a, a thing that needs to burn, but yes, Nick, listen to the grandpa. <laughs> hey, that's how I met my wife. Okay, so yeah. I, I, it gets a pass from me. Gotcha. But I mean, you know, um, having having something like a um, a, a data pad in your hand, video linked to a conference center at um, like the biggest hospital in the United States, giving surgery advice to somebody in India or something like that. You know, that 10, 15 years ago was science fiction. And now they, they, they do it as standard practice. You know, um, a lot of the things we do, uh, I remember, um, I believe it was Tom Clancy's Future War. Um, and they did a TV series about it. And the, the, the guy would have this like little plastic stick and he would open it up and it would be a screen like this. And he had a video conference with a guy in the FBI cyber division, you know, and we were looking at that like, wow, that's probably 50 60 years away before we can do that kind of stuff. And 10 years later, we're, we're doing it every day. You know, yeah. video calls aren't right. the, the, the thing of science fiction anymore. They're just how we communicate with each other now. So yeah, that's what I really like about science fiction. Okay. So we'll have to bug you later to see if we can get your friend on with the nanotech to talk about the science. I'll and, call uh, him. Yeah. yeah, Drew's uh, the cool. Problem is, the He's problem is, is a lot of scientists can't make it um, idiot proof or, or JR proof as we like to call it around here. Oh no, he so. did. Uh, he did Jeet Kundo with me for years. So like, um, he's he's just like a walking head injury. He'll he'll Sesame Street that for you. It's all good. All right, I'm gonna break it down for me, Barney style. Yeah, so, uh, easy peasy. <laughs> so, how did your love of science fiction translate into you writing stories? Um, it started with um, me wanting to do comic books. So, as somebody who's not a native English speaker, writing the words is hard. So, so wait, wait, wait. Does that mean your first language was grunt? Uh, yeah, no, that was my third language. <laughs> third language was grunt. You know, um, uh, I also dabble a little in marine. So you know, when I when I uh, link up with an O three twenty one, and he looks at me and he's like, "Why? Why are you able to understand us?" It's like, dude, it's like we know. So, um, but yeah, um, because uh, I'm not a native English speaker. Um, one of the difficulties in writing long prose, especially as a younger person, um, was that um, my language was heavily in, in infected by grunt. So, you know, I didn't write pretty. So um, I got into comic books. Into yeah. flesh. <laughs> right. I started, uh, I started with comic books. So, um, you know, when you're on deployments and you need something to do, you know, some guys learn to play guitar so they can impress girls. I started drawing. And, uh, you know, eventually I, I started working for a couple of different comic book companies um, doing storyboards for them so that they wouldn't have to do full scripts for artists because uh, they wanted books out so fast. They would hand outlines to storyboard artists and just say, make this into a storyboard so I can hand it to an artist and I don't have to even talk to them. And uh, I made ridiculous amounts of money doing that until the comics industry crashed at the end of the 90s. And... Uh, uh, I went into role-playing games after that. And um, yeah, so never looked back. And you were so insane that you started your own company because you're like, that doesn't look so hard. I could do that. 
you know, and that was the thing too, because like all these guys were coming in and they're like, "How did you just publish that?" And it's like, "Well, why don't you do it?" And they all would respond with, "Well, I, I, I can't do something like that." And you know, desktop publishing was starting to move into digital. It wasn't as hard as it was back in back in like the '80s and '70s. So I was like, "I'm going to start a company that I can use to create products and teach people to help me at the same time." And I ended up with a full full-time company um, where um, I have two employees that work for me all the time. They, they try and get stuff out as much as possible. And uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, we created this company that, that whose sole purpose was to help people get into the publishing industry via either comics or role-playing games or writing so that um, they didn't have to learn the process by themselves from step one, you know? Um, so it was, it was, it was a good time. It was a great way. I'm sorry. Writer's track. Writer's what? Writer's track. They have a whole bunch of stuff on that kind of stuff too. Oh, cool. She's, she's trying to get you to attend as a professional at Dragon Con because she thinks everyone should go to her favorite. I buy a bag. Tiny little convention in Atlanta. Walsh, Walsh doesn't need to buy De- a bag. Walsh definitely more worthy to attend that than me because I just wrote a dinky little indie comic. <laughs> yes, and like a dinky dinky, you didn't get on any programming. I didn't know. Like Walt created something that I wanted to create. Which is like, hey, I don't know where to begin, but I'm gonna do this. Yeah. So, and this is like before Facebook, all yeah. that stuff. I actually, I just, I Googled the way, I, I Googled my way through it. I'm like, okay, I need to find someone to print this. Now that I've spent 120 something man hours producing this comic, how do I get it to people? How do I, how do I come to a con as a guest? Yeah. Yeah. I've watched some Hi. of your cons live, uh, the, yeah, the ones I, that you did live and stuff like that. Those were good. Yeah, I love doing that, um, and that's one of the one of my favorite things to do on panels. Besides talking about you know veteran awareness and you know dealing with PTSD in the arts and how those two can help each other, absolutely. And, and then also you're like, hey, you want to make a book? Cool, I'm here to help. There are several guys out there that are doing comics right now because um, you know they got off of deployment. Guys with uh, TBIs, uh, broken backs, inability to walk. Um, uh, explosive damage to hands and stuff like that. And I would be like, Hey, you know, what would really help your TBI outlining. Let me show you how to outline a story. Hey, you know, what would get some of the dexterity in that, that hand back. Let me show you how to ink a comic panel, you know? And, uh, we felt a couple of veterans like that. And, and it was my privilege. It was my honor to help those men and women and get them kind of like back into some semblance of normalcy where every day wasn't a struggle to uh, kind of overcome the demons that followed them home. Instead, you know, we put uh, a bunch of crosses at the front door and we're like, screw yo demons. Let's draw some books, you know, and we got some uh, uh, we got uh, Joe Gallagher. He's a, a friend of ours and, and uh, he owns his own coffee company. Now he does his own uh, comic book production. He's got a several, several books out there that are kind of like on the, the weird uh, creepy side and some on the weird science fiction side, you know, it's guys like that who, you know, you look back and you're like, yes, it was my privilege to help those guys. So, um, you know, starting hazard studio in 2004, um, was probably one of the greatest things that I did in as far as helping my brothers, uh, come home from, you know, uh, a tough time to a home that probably didn't understand what they were going through. That's that's outstanding. Um, that's a really good real life experience. And speaking of real life experiences and how it translates to the literary form, um, a lot of authors use their real life experiences, like you were just telling us, um, in the stories that they tell. Were there any like specific formidable moments that really shaped you as a storyteller? 
Um, uh, I, I really love stories, and I really love writing stories about tribe. Um, I love uh, family stories where um, uh, the family didn't start together, but they end together. It's just people that, that form their own tribe because they're of like mind, like purpose. Um, I love stories like that. And uh, the fact that, you know, family isn't blood, it's, you know, it's, it's honor and commitment to each other. That, that kind of thing is, is absolutely cool. And that's, that's what the army was to me because I'm a, I'm a filthy, dirty mutt. You know, my, my mom and her side of the family is from Sicily. My dad is from Corsica. So half my family is white. Half my family is um, very Mediterranean looking, dark skin, almost black. Um, we have African, Moroccan, uh, Turkish in our bloodline. So, you know, if I walk into the sun at all, and my wife is, is uh, of German descent, and, um, you know, she looks at a light bulb too long, she gets a sunburn. I walk I out in the that. sun. Yeah, I walk out in the sun, I turn brown. So it's like it, 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 I was never white enough for the white kids. I was never black enough for the black kids. The Spanish guys thought I talked funny, you know, so there was never a tribe I had of my own, of my own people, because I was everybody's people or I was nobody's people because I wasn't people enough. But when you got to the army, you know, the first time you're sitting in that squad bay and they say you're all equally worthless. You know, and then and then 30 days in, you know, they tell you the real secret isn't that you're already that you're you're all equally worthless. Um, they tell you that that statement that they give you on the first day of basic training is only half of the equation. You are all equally worthless except to each other. You know, to each other, you should be priceless. You know, and that's. Who always said, I hate you all equally. Yes. Yeah. And when I start saying that, uh, people go, oh, God. You know, and after my um, second demotion in basic training, where I tackled a guy out a window. Um, Dude, how do you get demoted in basic? Uh, um, so um, you start going into the negative ranks. <laughs> so I didn't, um, I didn't particularly care for uh, some piece of overprivileged um, whatever he was, uh, calling somebody who gave me water out of his own canteens so that I wouldn't be a heat casualty the day before. Somebody calling that guy the N-word just rubbed me the wrong way. We were going out of an effing window. Oh, yeah. it's you know? okay, that's fair. That, that guy who shared water with me from that day on, that was my brother. You know, And you just insulted my brother? Hell no. I don't yeah. care how badly I get beaten in this contest. I said, we're, we're doing this. And, you know, um, eventually I got my rank back and it was, it was uh, one of those things where they're like right attitude, wrong execution, you know, but it was good initiative, bad judgment. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's one of the, those experiences really um, I, I love those kind of stories. Cause if you look at some of the best stories in the last 30 or 30 or 40 years, right? The original Star Wars was about a family getting together that didn't know they were family. Two of them were related, but the majority of them weren't. And they became this, un they had this un inseparable bond, you know, um, having um, uh, like different stories around like that. Uh, I mean, like, look at the Fast and Furious movies. Who knew that was going to get 10 freaking iterations, right? Get but yet, once again, it, it's all about family. You know, it's all about, um, it's all about that sense of community and tribe that you build 
um, for yourself. And, and I love stories like that. And anytime I can, I can kind of, um, storyboard that it, it, it really, it really puts the wind in my sails. So was that the, the defenestration of Kant, Sand Hill or Kelly Hill for you? Um, yeah, we weren't allowed at Sand Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed anywhere near that place. Cause at the time that was the medical barracks and they were like, there's females up in there. You guys ain't going near there because you've been 30 days without that. And that's going to be like a drowning man to oxygen. Hell no. So, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we weren't allowed up in there. Okay. <laughs> the after art of throwing someone out a window. Defenestration. My favorite word ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big word for me. I, I'm gonna have to look that up later. Book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love how you guys are so silly. All right, now you get to ask him the military questions. This is gonna hurt you really bad because I know you don't like talking about the army. Uh, but Nick, you're gonna have to control yourself. <sighs> Fine, I'll be. <laughs> don't get salty with us. I, I was born of salt. Uh huh. There's too much and salt on these nuts. Let's do this. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right. Military, military science fiction, mill sci-fi. Uh, your bio mentions that you uh, retired. No, you didn't retire. You served in the U.S. Army. Uh, we ask all our authors who are also military veterans this question, but how do you feel like your time in the big green weenie affects the stories you tell? Um, well, there's the obviously the community stuff we just talked about, but um, uh, weapons, tactics, uh, stuff like that, I routinely am approached. Uh, because people will say, hey, we know this guy that is really good at that kind of stuff. Um, you should talk to him. Um, and uh, a lot of times um, when I talk to authors, um, the biggest problem I see um, tactically is that nobody does the research. Um, they watch something on the WB network and they think that that's what the army is um, or that what's, that's what a special operator should be. And it's like, no, that's totally. I, I was just talking about recently. Um, I was approached by an author who wanted to do a halo jump into an oil rig. And I'm like, I start asking a bunch of questions and uh, I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. None of these answers. No, no. And, you know, they didn't like that, you know, because it didn't fit their particular what they had for their story, you know. But at the same time, it was like, look, if you if you tell the story this way, nobody's going to gig you on it but the veterans who read it are going to roll their eyes and probably stop reading you or know i wouldn't table. roll my eyes okay yeah i would yeah you you rolled your eyes at uh um uh forgotten ruin uh, at the pfc who was uh not given his specialist even though because his 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 uh his education you know because that's accurate i yes, also it is my accurate. eyes at the uh warrant officer in a branch that doesn't have warrant officer what's that uh, special forces there is only one uh no 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 they have warrant officers oh yeah they have warrant yeah, the intel branch. there's only one warrant officer in the medical branch and he's a specialized mechanic for uh equipment medical yeah equipment. yeah that is the only thing so no he was not a warrant officer but that's just because I also has the has that the only two women to go rebuild society. <laughs> uh, we've talked about that, but that'll be a, another. Uh, that's another thing. Uh, yeah, that's another that's thing. Another I'm going to need way more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next question. Coffee, we'll move pretty. this along. Hey, Doc started talking and when she talks, I shut up. She has that effect. She's bossy like that. I love uh, bossy. I just God. get my way. 
and say, look, a tangent. <laughs> let's get off that. Do you ever draw from people that you knew in the military? All the time. All the time. Like um, in the current book I just wrote, um, the uh, uh, half the guys in the unit that the book is about were guys I served with. Um, right now I'm doing uh, some writing that will not have my name on it. And um, that writing had uh, a, a huge military presence in it. That uh, is, I drew from uh, my time in the military because all those guys, you always have the, you know, the guy who's a really shitty human being, but an amazing soldier. You have the guy who's the other way, who's the really amazing human being, but a shitty soldier. You know, I mean, like all these, all these, these person, these diverse personalities come together in a, uh, <laughs> I am not Chuck Tingle. Um, <laughs> so yes, we got him to say it. So, oh, you, you can get me to say anything. Just put it in the chat. I, I have no shame. Um, but yeah, so having having those guys that you serve with that that make perfect story fodder, you know, is just like like I mean, there's a guy that I put in one book, um, and I served with him in the 82nd, and this guy would go out until uh, 5:45 in the morning and come in for a six o'clock formation the alcohol sweating through his his sweat glands and that dude was like swaying in formation we used to like grab onto his wrist to keep him up straight you know Ooh. so like and you'd go on a brigade run and and like that was five miles of an accordion that dude out on about a quarter mile would run into the bushes. You'd hear the most intense vomiting you've ever heard in your life. He'd come out the other side. Like he'd been reborn, a God of combat and just get in, get in that line and be like, all right, boys, let's get this so I can get some breakfast, put something more than, you know, wheat and rye in my belly, you know, and, and, yeah, and everyone was, around him was intoxicated on that run mm -hmm. just by pure contact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I've been but around that guy. One, I've been that guy. The funny one is the old timers that would be like that and they'd be smoking a cigarette the whole goddamn run. Yep. Like, how are your lungs still functioning? Mm -hmm. Oh, the best is when, like, not even stopping, pulls a can of dip out of his sock, <laughs> like, pulls it out, throws a lip in while still running and puts it back in his sock without losing a step. I'm like, that is the most army thing i've ever seen army yeah that's 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 pretty cool that's right up there with mopping the driveway in the middle of a rainstorm oh you you really had to screw up to, to yeah yeah you had to be that guy or when i was in egypt they made me rake sand <laughs> <laughs> to make it look pretty because you never know the president yep. might show up to outpost 219 in the middle of the desert i think it was much better behavior than all of you guys so I actually I got to paint rocks while I was at basic training because the first time we cleaned the rifle I lost the uh, the cotter pen. <gasps> I, we found it, but it had fallen out, and they they give me the one that was loose on purpose just to mess with me. And then when I had to be like, oh shit, I can't find it. They had way too much fun with that. that take take your PC off. All the parts go in the PC, so you don't lose it. That's I was the teaching moment so they could teach us that little trick after they gave me the rifle. <laughs> that didn't work. Story kind of, of like, JR's life. He was the like teaching moment. When, when they were teaching us the Barrett, there's a huge giant spring in there. And they tell you to hold on to it before you do prep, you know, depress it and release the spring because it has enough, you know, strength to shoot through drywall. And of course, there was one dude. 
and it shot into the next class because it went right <laughs> through the wall. So there's some combo class going on, and all, all of us, you know, weaponized killers, you know, who learned how to weaponize math are like, hey, what my and fault? then they walk in there and grab it, and they're like, sorry, I need that for <laughs> reasons. <laughs> you know, all embarrassed. They so, shot a weapon part through the wall. Do you ever like so we've talked about how what you your time in the service affects the stories you tell? Does it affect the kind of stories you read? Um, no, I'll read anything. Um, so uh, I recently had uh, somebody that uh, I have a working relationship with that wrote a uh, a romance story and said, "Hey, can you can you read this? Um, because um, you have said before you are familiar with the weapons of the time, and uh, some of those weapons are in here." And I said, "Yeah, sure, send it over." I sent it. It was a great story. I, I really enjoyed it. So um, I'll read anything. So you know. Um, but if you hand me something military, uh, militarily written, um, I, I will, uh, uh, I'll, I'll judge the hell out of it. <laughs> Cause yeah, he was making fun of me the other day for that. I'm trying to, to do the planning for a story and, uh, I sent it to him. He goes, this is like 14 years. This is like circa 1990s army or 2000 guard unit. I'm like, well, that's what I knew. It's like this 14 <laughs> years ago, you old dude. Yeah. Totally mocking me. He didn't even try to hide it. No, I don't hide it. No, I mean, but, are, everybody mocks you. You like, it's like it. Don't make fun of me there, Slick Sleeve. You. Kuwait is not a deployment. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, you know, if somebody if somebody sends me something to look over, you know, I'm going to be blunt about it because if I'm blunt up front with somebody who's looking for tactical or technical advice for weapons of a time period, then you're not going to go, oh, I'm sure this will this will do good when it when it's in there. Um, <laughs> You know, like when you're telling a story where somebody should be using the new MG three three MG three three eight, and they pull out an M sixty, and everybody else around them is using Sig, uh, the new Sig rifles. You better have a reason to have that M sixty in there, you know, because if you don't, then that means you are using a Vietnam era style weapon that saw its last end of use probably around eighty nine to ninety with the special forces using the E3 model and you're mixing it with weapons that are just coming into production now. So unless there's a reason to have that weapon in there, just ditch it because there's, you know, I don't write weapons and I don't write either. Despite (laughs) rumors, I don't write much, but Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, like even even when, um, you know, certain other tracks of combat, like if you were to write something and, you know, uh, somebody started using or you were to read something as a technical advisor, as a medic, and somebody started talking about um, the proper way to use an occlusive dressing for um, a sucking chest wound or how to treat attention pneumothorax, you know, um, if oh. you were... If you were looking that over, would you be like, no, 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 honey, you don't use a bicycle pump like that, you know, or would you no, say, I would not say honey, <laughs> oh, you, you sweet little lamb, you, you know, yeah, you I, sweet. I've, I've gotten the, Hey, does this burn? <laughs> well, or, or like JR goes, sent me somebody and he goes, he wanted to know something about, a uh, if you increase nitrogen by a percentage in the atmosphere, what would happen? And I'm like, well, here you go. And he, by the way, you're now making everybody a vegetarian and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh God, there's a lot more to this than I thought. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, it's that kind of detail where if somebody wants that detail, fine. Oh no, I respect the detail. 
totally respect the detail. Right. I'm just saying, like, you and Larry Korea, you got me on all the gun shit. <laughs> uh, along with Laurel K. Hamilton. That woman loves her guns. Yeah. So yeah, And werewolves. She loves the werewolves. Oh, she loves lots of things, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a, she's a wonderful lady, though. I don't judge. Um, but you don't came here. I'm not king-shaming. <laughs> Trust me, if you've read her stuff, you're not king-shaming. Um, but her new series is actually about a, is a male protagonist. Which she just announced. So that should speaking be really of, fun. Speaking of new series, we're here to talk to Walt about his. So let's get this party back on track. I think that was JR trying to crack a whip. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of it having cracked on him. The feud. You know what? Sometimes I let him play. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Star Wars and in the ship right now. We all know who's in charge. It's me, right? Of course. No, Nathan, you. you. You're the no. Right. It's not me. I know where I'm in the social hierarchy here. That's why I'm in the bottom right, as always. Speaking of, <laughs> yep, we just broke Cisco. <laughs> I'm just editing myself. I am capable of it. Great, I've been promoted. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Don't worry, it won't be long till you're demoted. F up to move up. Uh so has anybody? transitioning away from this into things I do know more about. Have you had any fan, really cool fan interactions like fan art or somebody cosplaying? Um, yeah. Uh, so um, I own a role-playing game company uh, as my uh, kind of like my kind of start into all this. And um, I've had people like send me pictures of the characters. I've had people um, do full-on products using my game system. Uh, so I, I, I kind of believe that counts. So yeah, like amazing, amazing fan art done. And, so. and what is this game system? The game system originally, uh, was called supers revised edition. Um, mm -hmm. it was, uh, originally created by Simon Washburn, uh, myself and a couple of other guys that, that, uh, we work with, we purchased the rights for the, uh, for the game. So now we own it and, uh, we did a revised edition, clean things up, new layout, um, made it kind of standard across the board, so it's a really easy game to play. Um, the tagline for us is um, spend five minutes learning it, spend 10 years playing it, and you'll never have a boring time. So um, we really enjoy the game system, um, so much so that uh, we pitched it to um, Nick Cole and Jason Onspock, and it's going to serve as the basis for the Galaxy's Edge role-playing game, which will be coming later this year. Very um, sexy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we even uh, we even use the rules as a basis for miniatures, uh, uh, miniature war gameplay. So um, we've uh, contracted uh, Enemy Spotted Studios to act as our uh, or as Galaxy's Edge representative uh, for that, and they're doing um, these amazing, amazing miniature models that are just like sick and twisted. So oh, I love looking. painting miniatures. I don't really play tabletop war games because they tend to take way too much time, but I do enjoy painting them. Yeah, they. Oh my god, they they just got the sculpts painted, and they they are they are ten pounds of sexy in a four pound bag. It's just they're really, really good looking. So yeah, you know, Nick, you, <laughs> you rub it like you own it. <laughs> oh my god on this episode so many of our fans are going to go from anchor to watching this on youtube because they're not going to understand <laughs> for why but, but this is why he has his only fans account you know for those kinds of stories so we'll, we'll move back to the fan anyways have you had anybody ask for your autograph away from a convention or book signing event 
Yeah, I was in a um, I was in a comic book shop, and some of my uh, some of my games were being sold there. And uh, somebody recognized me from a podcast and said, "Hey, you know, can we can can I get an autograph?" I was like, "Well, you're gonna have to buy a book because I don't have any with me. I'm just here to buy comics like you." <laughs> so yeah, they bought the book and I signed it, and that was that was kind of neat. So I still talk to the guy here and there. He's 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 good people. So um, he bought one for himself, and then uh, I bought two more copies, which I also signed, and I gave those to his kids. So very cool. cool. So I was gonna ask if you'd ever seen somebody spotted somebody reading one of your books in the wild but you kind of answered that one so i guess we're on to the funniest fan interaction um uh, i really don't it's have not jr fawning over you <laughs> it's the other way around because he's got the coolest avatar ever um <laughs> so um I, I haven't had too many fan interactions uh, the, the only thing that uh, and i've told this story before the only the only thing that really kind of um uh, really kind of uh, like fired me up a lot was um, this is going back a few years now. I was reading comics uh, at the archery range where I, where I shoot. And uh, this is before COVID and all that and all that craziness. And there was this young lady that was there and she's just, you know, she's, she's watching me re read this book and she kept looking at it and it was a female hero, female protagonist. So I was like, here, you, you, you take it. I said, I'm going to hit the lanes. So I grab my, I grab my arrows and I grab my bow and I, I fire off a couple for the next, for the next lane. And then, uh, uh, everybody's pulling their arrows. I come back and she's like, Oh, uh, here's your book back, sir. I said, no, keep it. So she started showing up every week just to, just to, um, kind of grab comics. Cause I would give her the comic every time. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of <laughs> cool. You know? So no, she's, she's, about ready to graduate high school she found me on facebook um about six months later and her mom messaged me and said uh what a positive influence that was because every time she would take the comic from me we'd sit there and just talk for a few minutes you know and she said that that was such a positive uh, influence in her life that she was, she was thinking about art and she was, you know, thinking about graphic design and all this other stuff. And I'm like, if she really wants to do great things, graphic design is a way to go. I said, stay away from comics unless you want to be broke for a number of years and really like ramen soup. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was, uh, you know, she, she eventually, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, she, she eventually like bought a whole bunch of my products and, and, uh, submitted to our page was like, Hey, we're playing games now. This is great. We can play, uh, superheroes at the table. Um, so yeah, it, uh, that was, that was really a lot of, uh, one of those things that you look back on and you're just like, I'm really glad I did that. You know, finding, I will say this one, having been a kid and, uh, finding an adult who, sponsors and fosters that love of something in fandom that's whether it, for me it was books because i don't know how to read comics um, <laughs> we'll send you some I, but it really is a game changer in that perspective because i i had that happen both with an english teacher and then again outside of the classroom when i was older and uh it well that's how i ended up with dragon con <laughs> so yeah, you get that bug. You want to be around those people, you know, those creative people who who just who almost like sweat and bleed ideas, you know, just because it's just so cool to, you know, that's I, I, I've loved getting into the fiction community and talking to guys like Jason Onspach, Nick Cole, Rick Partlow, 
um, JR, you know, when we first met JR, he had these uh, great Legion stories, you know, so it was one of those things where you, you you meet all these people who just bleed these amazing ideas and you're like, I'm just a hack. I'm no good at this. These guys are amazing. You know, so I should not invite you to dinner with Jody Lynn Nine or uh, Mike Massa or John if, Ringo then, right? If you just Did want you me to inferior? show up in a in a cheerleader uniform and yell out, oh my God, like all night, then yeah, let's do that. Plan. <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you could meet you could beat Mike Massa in a tickle fight, so you'd be okay. Uh, yeah, well, my no, tickling usually no. involves usually no. involves asphyxiation to the point of um Somebody passing Mara, out. So. Have you ever seen? He's like the tank of Bane. <laughs> yes, I, I've for met a reason. Him. He was there at the famous Moab. I know. He was also at Fantasy. I know. Hey, JR, I don't like being in the top left. Move me back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't no. concentrate. No. Nope. One over. Go the other way, JR. There you go. Way. There you go. He was violated. He's out of his yes. comfort zone. You're, you're military, right? There you go. <laughs> All right. So this is this is where you get to get back on track. It's question 18. You've got this. You can do this. You were born for this moment. JR, I, I'm just going to hem you up right now on live air. Every time you say that is when I'm waiting for that pause, and it makes me look like an a-hole because I'm getting ready to get us back on track, and you're like – time to get back on track. I'm like, I was about to until you interrupted me to tell me to get back on track. <laughs> God love you, JR. God love you. Somebody's All right. Gotta. Somebody's got to, and it's probably at least one of us on here. All right. So Walt. it's always Walt. Walt loves everybody, which is we're going to talk about Walt right now and everything that he's written. Um, can you give us the highlight reel of your body of work? I know you've done a lot. Uh oh wow. <laughs> um RPGs or uh fiction or lay, lay it all out. This is this is your time to shine as Dear always. Lord. So I've I started writing for RPGs in 2004 and um I've worked with some of the coolest cats in that scene. Um so I have been really lucky to write alongside a lot of those guys. Um when I started as a studio, I started doing my own stuff. So there's a lot of uh, role-playing game material out for that. Um, I did a bunch of short stories for JR um, in some of his anthologies. Uh, I was in the um, the Beyond uh, Horizons Beyond uh, anthology for Keystroke Medium. Um, uh, we have some books that had my name on it from the 90s, and it was a pen name, and those have since been removed because they are horrible pieces of, of literature that are more suited to kindling. Um, but uh, yeah, now uh, we got the uh, the Hunter's Moon line that's coming out, and uh, um, I, I've been doing a lot of ghostwriting for people. So um, getting my name out, out there is not as important to me as getting paid. So... Um, you know, if somebody wants to pay me to write something, bring it. You know, if you want to put your name all over it and leave me out of it, that's fine. I don't care. As long as the, the as long as the check clears. The adventures of Downs and Gonzo. Right. Bring it. I'm there. So all good in the hood. Oh yeah. Oh man, that got a lot of stuff out there. That's pretty cool. Um, let's talk about the mongrel, the first novel in the Hunter Moon Hunter's Moon trilogy. I'm sorry, Mike isn't working as usual right on. Uh, where did you get the premise for this universe so right around 2014 2015 um there was a bunch of cool sci-fi that was coming out and uh i wanted to play it on the game table 
but there was no authorized role-playing game for it. And of course, I wanted to add my own spin to it. And uh, I have this group of guys who helped me play test games. Uh, we call them the, uh, the Midnight Crew. Uh, just because we're all in different time zones. So the only time we can really get together is midnight. Um, so we got together, started playing these games. The universe evolved a little bit. And then um, I said, you know, this would, this would kind of make, uh, um, this would make a fun time for, um, uh, for a novel series. So um, I originally came up with one idea and it really, it, it, it would work if the series was already established, but I didn't really have a series. So I was like, you know something, I'm just going to get something out of my, uh, out of my fingers and into the keyboard. And, um, I was like, let's do, um, let's do something that, that you don't really see that often. Let's do, let's make the criminals, the heroes, you know, let's, let's have the bad guys be the one that's, that's got to save the day. So Robin just, Hood. Um, not so much Robin Hood. Think, um, think the Sopranos, but there's nobody left to fix what's wrong. Okay, Don't be bringing none of that California bullshit here, right? So the the idea came uh, in that um, you had a former slave who was working with like the uh, you know the the space wizards who kind of keep the peace and uh, and act as like. Um, um, peacemakers? Uh, no, wrong series. No, wrong series. Uh, they they keep the peace for like religious pilgrims. They're they're they were kind of like the Knights Templar. They're guardians for uh, pilgrims moving outside of uh, the normal space into like the frontier. Uh, and a trade negotiation goes wrong. Um, they were having a, like a a treaty that was supposed to be signed, and one side backs out and just massacres everybody, and he's the only one that lives. And because, you know, he was a, a former gladiator turned, you know, one thing turned another thing, you know, he had abilities and skills and, and put them to work and he massacres anybody he thinks that is involved, which puts him in the sights of the people, very people he was once serving. Uh, that ends up where he can only get his only allies that he's able to get are more criminals. Um, and as this kind of evolves, um, this plan forms where he's got to bring this larger element into the picture to show this conspiracy and what's going on. So uh, yeah, it was a fun thing to write. Um, and uh, I was saying on another show recently, um, this writing was all going down when my mom was battling cancer and uh, when she was in hospice is when I wrote the third book. And it was, uh, it was a way for me to get out of my own head and kind of live through these adventures where um, the protagonist could do something against the horror, the horror approaching you. You know, you could be the, the rock that breaks the wave kind of deal. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was something that was as much therapy as it was fun to write. So That's awesome. All right, let's let's talk about that cover. JRQ, that bad boy. Ooh, baby! It's my favorite part of the show because I can actually talk intellectually about it. Because you guys here on the last on one of our interviews, yeah. I actually managed to artsy fartsy a little bit. You did. You really churched up the show a bit. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the uh, the cover that's for the um, the audio. Oh, so it's, it's just not, the biggest cover. It's the same one. It's just bigger, yeah. so I can oh, okay. take more screen. I was going to say, there's different art. Why am I not looking at this art? <laughs> 
I love art. That's what I'm here for. That and the uh, inappropriate jokes. Well, it's not the pretty looks. Well, I mean, I have a face for radio. Everybody told me that. I'm yep. sorry. I should be nicer. I'm no, you shouldn't. Happy. It wouldn't be you, and you'd feel naughty. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's take a look at this. This is a really, really. There's a lot going on here. It's a really awesome cover. I like the color choices, the camel pattern. Oh, that's cry precision. That's awesome. Right. I like to know that cry is still uh, still in business. I like the mecha dog. Oh, that he is, is awesome. So cool. That the is mecha so dog cool. is awesome. He is awesome. So did anybody it, ever watch the anime Kashan Robot Hunter? No. Because he had a cool mechanized dog like that. I mean, it had a mechanized dog. That's probably the only similarity. But like, the dog was its own character and it was awesome. So, I'm not going to spoil what that thing actually is because uh, it, it's it, it's a lot of fun discovering it in the story. Because so, it's mecha dog. I, sort of. <laughs> um, I had one beta. Uh, I have a small group of beta readers, uh, four or five guys that read my stuff for me and tell me whether or not I'm goofy and should just go back to my day job. So um, I had one guy call me up and the first words out of his mouth were asshole. <laughs> <It was like, laughs> <laughs> All right. What did, what did I do? And did it really have my name on it? And he's like, I get to the middle of the story. And then these two guys are throwing down in the middle of this mesa and all of a sudden floodlights. And I'm like, oh, I know what part you're at. He goes, yeah, I almost got I was listening. I put it on my phone so I could listen to it while I was driving. He goes, I almost got into like a car accident. I was laughing so hard. I'm like, good, good, good. That just made my day. That was the point. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So yeah. this image is a little bit different um, than the one that we saw a while back. Uh, what changed? Is there a funny story behind that? Maybe a little. So, um, you know, they asked what the character was and, and you know, what kind of uh, effects I wanted on the cover and, and how did I how did I want the cover to look. And uh, Steve and Rhett over at Athon Books were really cool to uh, to work with us and work with an, an artist that they've uh, had a relationship with, thankfully, because um, I was kind of a pain in the ass in regards to the art. So, um, yeah, I get the original art back and, uh, you know, because they had said, hey, you um, – what does the main character look like? And I said, you know, he should look like a really tall and insert actor's name here. They insert actor's face there. I was By like, the way, this is one of my favorite actors and is on Atlantis. I was like, Robert De Niro. What? Yes. So no. I was like, in fact, you guys Atlantis appears multiple times in his resume. I was like, dude, you guys are going to get me sued. Oh, so hard. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, can we, can we just alter his face a little bit? So they went with uh, almost like a um, a Pashtun or like an Arabic style face, which I was totally cool with. I was like, yes, that's a great look. Let's go with that because he's supposed to be kind of shaggy and um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, he's just been he's just been uh, he's just escaped from uh, you know like a prison, um, and he's you know now he's on the run and he's trying to find all the bad guys and you got uh you know super cool robot dog uh but yeah the uh the what do you call it um when when actor's face appeared on on initial image i'm like that looks amazing please change it <laughs> broke your heart oh my god yeah it was it was a thing i don't know if you mentioned but who did the artwork for the cover 
Um, I have his name written somewhere else, and I'm not going to butcher the um, the pronunciation of it by trying it without looking at that. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I can get you that name offline, and he's uh, he he was awesome. I mean, he did all three. Um, oh wow! So um, let's see, uh, Jr. Yep. Um, if you like, you can share my window. Ooh. And those are all three covers. Oh, wow, look sweet. at that! I really like those the Spartan uh, kind of Greco-Roman thing you got going on the on uh, the Hunter's Moon. Yep, number three. Three Sentinel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that that dude is like a major turning point for the story. So <laughs> things get <laughs> things get really weird in book three, like in the beginning of book three, because. Uh, the ending of book two is very apocalyptic. So uh, a lot of things happen to the characters, things that, uh, you know, um, I wanted the middle book to be um, the part of the story where the characters are discovering what they're truly capable of. But right at that point, everything goes wrong. So Still like real life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just when you're getting into your groove, somebody sticks a freaking stick into your spokes. That was monkey wrench. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the covers came out amazing. They did such a great job. Um, let's see. Can I? There we go. I loved this image. The like the you know the Those people look like zombies. Right. But not, I don't like zombies. Right. So um, they just they just did this initial image, like the the wiring, the signs in the background, the, the armor and helmet is just it just that detail is off the hook. So they did such a great job. And of course, I can't tell anybody the um, the robot dog's name yet because it's a story point in the first book. And I don't want to ruin it. But is it a good boy? We'll just call him Mecha Dog. Naked dog. Is so, Naked dog a good boy though? Um, it depends. It depends on on who he's eating at the time. <laughs> I right. like him already. Speaking All three of those covers just look like someone's about to get wrecked. Yep, pretty Speaking much. Speaking of that, we're gonna we're gonna transition with Walt's blood force segue. So, what would your thirty second elevator pitch be for the first novel? Um, Star Wars: The Clone Wars meets John Wick. That was definitely thirty seconds. So, what do you think Nailed makes it. this? Nailed it. Um, so, what do you think makes your series and um, the mongrel specifically special? Um, in that, it's not so much about criminals rising to the occasion to stop something that initially started as what they felt was all personal slights. Um, it's that family is something you find. It's not just something you're born into. Okay, I'll accept that. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. So yeah. that's what we call a callback in the biz. Callback. We circle back to it. It's like we circle back to it. So uh, that's what, what they call it in the drill sergeant business. <laughs> no, they call oh, that oh, molly whomping. Yeah, <laughs> so, what uh, science fiction or fantasy tropes, because they're often interchangeable, do you feel like the mongrel hits the best? Um. It's definitely like an old school play on like the Japanese revenge story. You know, um, you killed my master. I must avenge, 
you know, that kind of deal. Um, also, um, whether or not something that is artificial can feel, you know, is, is a robot that acts like a human actually alive is something that um, would sacrifice itself for you. Is that something that has a soul? You know, those, those kind of, those kind of story elements are in the book. I like it. Okay. Well, we were going to accept that and we're going to move on to the next question. So what uh, subgenres do you feel like this story fits into the best? Um, military science fiction would definitely be um, a, a, a really on point sub genre. Um, I think um, space fantasy a little bit. Uh, you know, there are elements of a lot of different, uh, much like George Lucas, you know, I tried to steal from the best. Um, you know, as he stole from Flash Gordon and Kurosawa movies, you know, I looked at those those stories that were formative for myself and a lot of those properties and tried to incorporate some of those elements. So, yeah, Nick is saying we call that sampling. <laughs> Indeed. Speaking of sampling, it's now your turn to sample the questions, Eska. The next one's yours. She's like, I'm too drunk to read that. I can read that. It's color-coded. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the models podcast. You know, we missed the mark on that one. There wasn't a mark. Anyways. The for blasters and bottles is the title. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your main character and what makes them unique in the crowded field of science fiction? Um, the main character is half alien. He's not all human. Um, and because of that, his appearance is half alien. I'm sorry. Does he know? Uh, it's really hard to miss. So the aliens that he is descended from are nine feet tall with varying colored eyes. And they have deep, deep red skin, almost like Nick's shirt. Um, maybe a little darker. Um, so he's half human, and because of that, he has slightly reddish skin, um, more humanish features, but he's almost seven feet tall. So, like, every time they're trying to sneak into somewhere, they're like, yeah, you don't blend, you know? Um, you know, they go into, like, a human bar or something like that, and they're like, you probably should stay outside, you know? So the main character, who should be into everything, is often excluded from anything because he's does not look like the people he's trying to interact with, and it causes a lot of problems. That's fair. Um, not that Nick or JR would know anything about being the tallest person in the room. But I <laughs> Speaking of tallest person in the room, did you compensate? Because you keep telling everyone on the on the GE podcast, the Galaxy Ledge podcast, that you're like a, a midget, which we know you're oh, not I really. But oh, no, I am. Did you compensate by writing this character so tall? No, um, the uh, I wanted a race that was uh, so by the time this book was written, we'd already produced like four or five different uh, role playing game products in this universe that had these characters in it. And um, the race that we wanted to use for the main character to be blended with, he uh, you know, the they were already written the way they were. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't like I was I was taller. You know, because you know, being short has served me well over the years, and you know, and I mean, you can blend in, and you can like fit under. Yeah. The yep, and you know, you're always face height with something 
you know, moderately pleasant. And you, the only downside that, uh, you know, the only downside of being short is when my wife, who is taller than I am, gets mad at me. She hides the cookies, which is why I got the super jumping dog. So she gets the stuff off the high shelf for you. That's what you're saying? Uh, well, and, you know, I got one of those, like, old people grippers. So I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when I'm that doesn't, my little short thug ladder, like right. <laughs> uh, that... I'm only giggling because I'm the person who normally hides things up high. <laughs> the only, the only time that you know when I don't have the the. It's you know, a key the old facet of Jr's diet. <laughs> That's because you're an Amazon who offers death by snoo snoo. <laughs> <laughs> I got that reference. <sighs> oh, poor Jr. My Futurama so fans out there. Cool kid. <laughs> so, can you tell us anything about your? Uh, wait, are we done talking about the first main character? Sure. Okay. I, I, do you feel like we're done? I mean, do you feel like we're done? I'm, I'm fine. Okay. So, uh, can you tell us about any of your secondary characters that are particularly memorable? Um. Yeah. So the robot dog. Um, Mecha dog. Oh my god! We're gonna I make that a thing. I get so much from the from the beta readers about this guy, um, because you know, like any robot that really wants to fit in, what is the best place to find uh, personality cues and the right things to just be that essential part of the crew where everybody else is like a living being? You start looking at message boards and like you know social media sites and stuff like that. And that's how he comes up with his name. That's how his personality starts changing. Um, he goes from this piece of military grade hardware to um, a major sociopath. And, but he loves the main character because the main character did something for him as a, a, a I don't want to give away part of the story. The main character did something that ingrained him to the mecha dog. And the mecha dog is just like, well, I'll go wherever you go, you know, uh, but anywhere he goes, it's just absolute mayhem, you know, because it's like, all right, so we're going to sneak in. He goes, yes, we sneak in by ripping off their heads. And when their heads are off, they can't see you anymore. It's like, wait, I'm going to sneak in quietly. He goes slowly twisting the heads off. He's like, no, 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 <laughs> we, no, no. They're, they're not going to see us because their eyes are closed because they're dead because we shot them all. It's like, I am you, Groot, I am Groot, right? I am Groot. And, you know, and at some point somebody's like, is there an, uh, you know, one of the other characters, secondary characters is like, has this like love hate relationship with them. And they're kind of like the two siblings that constantly bicker. You know, and it's like, is there an off switch? And he goes, I know where your off switch is, you know, and they, and they go back and forth and stuff. And it's right next to the on switch. Right. And it's it's a lot of fun. They're they're a lot of fun to write. Those secondary characters are absolutely hysterical. And then you have the one who's like the mom of the group who's like, oh, I constantly work with children. This sucks, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it's a, the, the secondary characters are almost as much fun as the main character. Um the main character just being because he's not alien enough for the aliens and he's not human enough for the humans, but he's tolerated by both. You know, he's developed this very easygoing personality where just everything rolls off his back. So like and, you. Yeah, it's um, definitely drawn off his life experiences that we talked about earlier in the show. <laughs> no, I, 
I actually modeled him off of a sergeant I worked for who was um, pretty instrumental in me coming up back in the day. And uh, he was an immigrant to the country. He was, um, uh, his, his, his English was a little weird, you know, but we loved the crap out of him. And he just like, when somebody would call him, like, you know, like we'd be out somewhere and, and they're like, eh, nobody told you, you could sit there, you dirty spick. And he's like, guys, just walk away, walk away, you know? And he'd come out and we'd be like, Hey, what took you so long in there to come out? You told us to go out first. And then you were in there for another five minutes. He's like, Oh, I made a call. And then I told them, um, I wrote down their addresses on napkins and handed it each to them. And I'm like, that's creepy as, Oh my God, that's awesome. You know, he was, he was that kind of guy. He was such a nice guy. Like if you were his friend, he had a way of like elevating you to feel like you were a Spartan next to him, you know, but if you were his enemy, he didn't have to raise his voice. He just would do creepy shit to you and make like, like you just be hard. We'd be standing there as his friend, like, I'm not going to sleep for the next year after just hearing him <laughs> say that, you know? So like, yeah, I modeled the, I modeled the main character after him because nothing bothered him, but like, you know, he would go after his targets and, and, and sink them in ways that were asymmetrical, you know, instead of, instead of just hitting a guy in a bar, you know, he'd walk up to the guy and be, and whisper something into his ear and the guy would just sit down and we'd be like, Hey, Big Sarge, what, what did you say to that guy? And he goes, I really shouldn't tell you. I wouldn't want you to think bad of me. We're like, we saw you basically attack a guy with a grapefruit spoon two nights ago. And you want us to think nice, like, where where is the where is the quantifier in this equation? So, yeah, the line. he was he was he's a cool cat. So do you see any of these secondary characters getting their own breakout novels? I could see any of them getting their own breakout novels. Uh, one of my beta readers really wants me to. Um, there's one female in the group, um, and Yay! says says that she needs her own series. Um, and uh, I was like, I was like, um, and she could definitely hold her own series. So I don't like. I don't want to spoil any of the characters because the characters are. Um, the characters are all fun twists on 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 cool tropes in hey. fiction. I'm all about the female being the main character in the series. She does a lot. And, but like I said, she's also like the mom of the group, you know, kind of like, no, 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 let's go. And she's the only one that can like tone down the murder dog, you know, the mecha dog. Yeah. Cause he's murder like, dog. That's going in the hashtags too. Right. Cause it's like, it's like, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to go in there and strip them of their ears and we're gonna wear them as necklaces, and she's <laughs> like, "That's going to contrast with your colors, with your color palette." And he goes, "It's a good thing you're here, because <laughs> yeah, you're right. That would look weird. All right, we'll just shoot them instead, you know." And and <laughs> I like her already. I'm yeah. not sure which one I like better right now. Her. Or oh the dog. my god! Yeah, the I dog is the dog is hysterical just because he's a sociopath, and she's <laughs> funny because she's constantly like without making them she's the one that steers them the way that they need to go and make it seem like it's their idea, you know? So she's it's like, that's like me, but no, they all know that I'm, <laughs> no, I'm you're, you're too blind for that. Of that subtlety. <laughs> 
subtle like a mallet. You know what? You need it. That's true. I'm not even going to say you like it. I'm just going to tell you that you need it. You know, I saw you just reaching up through the screen like that. It would have been much funnier if you would reach down across the screen and like pulled him, pulled him by his ear or something like that. That <laughs> we'll work on that technology for next time. Maybe your boy that's doing nanites can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, that's gonna go so in a dirty, dirty trash. So, can you tell us about the bad guy? The bad guy. Um, you don't really meet the bad guy until book two. Um, okay. You know he's there. You you get a sense of him at the end of book one, but you don't meet him until book two. Um, and then uh, the key, you always hear about authors who write a secondary character, and they're supposed to be in there for five minutes, and that's it. Um, when my beta yeah. readers read the second book, they were like, this secondary character working with the villain has to be more. You need more of this. Yes, we call it yeah. characters running amok. Yes, and refuse to behave like Nick. Um, the ca uh, the character <laughs> is um, the character that they wanted more of. Uh, works with the villain um, for a little bit in book two, and then you find out some stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's really 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 interesting. And uh, um, at one point, one of my beta readers who is very um, right of center. Uh, was like, are you going woke on me? And I'm like, just dude, just read the story, please. There's reasons. Read the story. He's like, because I feel you're getting woke. I'm like, look, relax. <laughs> read the story. I said, you got to remember, number one, uh, I'm middle of the road guy. Number two, read the story. And he read the story and he was like, you know, he calls me back and he's like, yeah, all right, it, this makes a lot of sense. All right, I can see what you're doing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, go have a bourbon, <laughs> kick your feet up, <laughs> relax. Don't mind if I do. Yes, right. But uh, yeah, the the villains in this are more subtle, less Darth Vader, more um, like a Bond villain. You know, they're in the background. You know, they're there. Um, they're not like stroking a big white cat, but at the same time, they're not going to be blowing up planets. Um, they're but that's so much fun. It is. Uh, but it's not uh, – their machinations are a little more subtle because what they're going for is more subtle. But can you at least add, like, one little mustache twirling scene just for nostalgia's sake? Oh, uh, I don't want to ruin it. They, they, trust okay. me, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> it's probably in there. All right. All right, so speaking of your characters, um, if you met any of your characters from this book in a back alley, how would they treat you after the hell you've put them through? How do you see that interaction playing out? The, I'd want to meet the uh, the female of the group um, <laughs> because uh, I feel like um, she would send me on some like crazy quest to recover something where I have a possibility of surviving. Um, the rest of the characters would just shoot me in the face. What would Mecha Dog do to you? He would probably chew on something till it came off. That's why he's so cute. Oh my <laughs> god, <laughs> he's he's so much fun to write. There's a the the I, I'm I won't be spoiling anything because uh, you know I don't even know if this is going to be successful, but um, he's got that. Like I said, the uh, the um, the sibling rivalry with um, one of the other characters, and at one point they're in this like major like sci-fi car chase, 
and dude is like in the Star Wars equivalent of a of like a Dodge Charger. He's weaving in and out of lanes. He's being shot at, and he's and all of a sudden, Murder Dog comes on the comm, and he's like, and he's like, "Hey, how close are you? And how close are you too? Right? Because he's talking about Murder Dog and the and the the main character. And the, the dog says, "Well, we're kind of close. I mean, we've established a little bit of a rapport over the last couple of months, and I feel like we're really clicking." He goes, "I don't mean that, you jerk. Like." I'm getting shot at. I need backup. Where are you? Like, like, are, are you two like close? Like, how close? And he's like, well, I mean, I've always wanted more, but I, I don't think he sees me that way. And he's like, no, I need backup. <laughs> like, he, he keeps going, like, like playing the joke. And then finally, Murder Dog is like, is like, all right, Nancy, keep your panties from twisting into your throat. He goes, homeboys here. And then you know, you see like the claws rip through the uh the ceiling of the car because he's been riding on the roof the whole time <laughs> so uh and and then you know there's a huge gun battle that happens that's a lot so of on, fun on a scale of zero to dallas corbin how awesome is this uh car chase it's pretty good it, it's pretty good um it, it um like um Ronan, you ever see the movie Ronan with De Niro? Oh yeah, Ronan, good. Right, it's I'm fun. In. Yeah, it's it, it was a fun scene to write. Um, there's there's a lot that goes into it, so yeah, it's it's fun. But I mean, you know, the other side of it too is I didn't want it to be so military sci-fi that you couldn't have a lot of fun with it. So there's a lot of like goofy aliens. There's you know some of them are very human esque, uh, some of them are not. Um, so there's, there's, you know, um, the different planets and I didn't do the, uh, I didn't do the George Lucas thing where everything's a desert planet or a jungle planet or a fast food planet. You know, it's, it's multi-biome planets. How dare yes. you? Yeah, I know. I know. But I wanted, the mold. yeah, I wanted to be able to have snow in one part and then, you know, forest in another. So it happens like a real planet. Weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite character archetype um no i i think for character archetypes you, you use what you need for your story you know don't uh don't just play the the one note you know learn to play the symphony because at some point you know you might be the conductor and that's really what an author is he's got to conduct the band if all you know is the cello how are you going to supervise the drum section Absolutely. You just let them pound away. Mm -hmm. just, just let them just bang on their drum, being happy. Yep. <laughs> what can you tell us about the about the universe itself? In many series, the worlds where the story is told is much as much a character as the protagonist. Um, can you give us a hint what we can expect from this expansive world you've created? Um, so the um, the biggest part of the setting you actually never see. Um, it's called the Coral, which is short for the Coral Worlds Alliance. And everything in the coral is corporate run. Governments exist at the behest of the of the corporations that really don't want to run people's lives. They just want them to buy stuff. So the governments keep people kind of going the way that the, that things are supposed to go, and blah blah blah. But at one point, uh, Earth, who was a member of this huge multi-planet conglomeration, has a civil war, and it starts bleeding over into everything. So they exile Earth. So 
for the last several generations. Nobody's seen it. Nobody's been there. It's quarantined. You're not allowed to go. Nobody knows is allowed to know where it is. Well, we all love quarantines and know about those. Yep. So, but you still have all of these Earth-like elements that have spread throughout the planets. So, like, um, there's the Kai Initiative, which is was heavily influenced by the Japanese. You know, you have these major corporations that are protected by entire families of samurai who use uh, um, robotic samurai and uh, you know gene enhanced uh, ninja and and all this other stuff. You got um, another section that is heavily uh, was heavily controlled by Russian corporations um, and. Those corporations also include um, areas uh, of Earth like uh, Finland and Sweden and stuff. So you have um, giant mechs and like uh, like Gundam style stuff, but all with like Norse themes and people speaking Russian. You got, uh, but the story in the books take place outside of all of this in in the frontier because this is where people go when they're trying to escape all of this this like corporate tribalism and they uh um because of that it's also very lawless which is how the marshall's templar which are the kind of like the space wizards of the setting they start coming in um they initially start as kind of like uh military protection for pilgrims um and when they end up taking over a planet as a, as like a, a base of operations they realize they need a government so they install one but they use their own military force to kind of protect everything. And uh, they create this military force called the Lancers, which are um, specialized military units dedicated to serve the Templars in their kind of uh, keeping everything from exploding, from like people constantly trying to take each other's territories, piracy, stuff like that. And it's that military group that... Uh, where you see um, uh, come into the major part of the story. The thing that everybody seems to find interesting is the fact that the Templars get whatever they want. So they're kind of like, um, it, it's kind of like how the Catholic Church uh, subtly ruled over most of Europe during the Middle Ages. Um they have this. Uh, they have this. They have this control over everything that you know they're protecting. Um, you know, if they want something, they request it. They get it. If they don't get it, they pull their support from that area, and then it gets sacked by pirates. So um, it it was also the book was kind of also an exploration of uh, what a theocracy like might look like in the future, and why that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. I like that name, those Lancers. That's cool. Yeah, they were, and there's, you find out why they were called that in the third book. Um, I'll send you the scene. Everybody who's read the scene was just like, I had one guy who called me and, and he said, uh, he's, he hit me up on Facebook. He's like, can I call you for two minutes? I said, yeah. He goes, I just got to the scene where so-and-so is giving his speech to like the soldiers who just went through that fight. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that Lancer speech, fuck yeah. And then he hung up on me. I was like, okay, I don't know how to take that, but cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it as a positive thing. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it, it uh, you find out why they were given the name that they were, and uh, there's a there's a big reason behind it. It has to do with the setting. So, uh, but, yeah, they're, uh, they're the guys that were on the cover uh, in the kind of like the grayish-white armor. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. 
So you mentioned earlier that this started as an RPG. So what system did you play the uh, the Hunter's Moon trilogy universe on? Was it your supers? Uh, no, originally it was a, a game called White Star. Okay. Which is a um, it's a throwback to old D and D with uh, the Star Wars numbers filed off. So uh, very easy to play. It's uh, the book is only like less than a hundred pages uh, if you get the original, and uh, you know you play out your whatever. Uh, we even did a source book for it called uh, Shadows on Starlight, and it was about military contractors and mercenaries uh, in in the White Star game. So and it was very successful for us. People still buying it. It's uh, we released that 2019. Um, yeah, so. We did that at the same time I was writing the novels. So a lot of, uh, if you're looking for more insight into the novels, uh, you can get that book. And there's a huge section on um, the Hunter's Moon kind of like universe in the back of that. So the Mongrel is part of a series. I know because you showed us all three covers for the trilogy and it says so on Amazon. Um, but after that three book run, is their story finished? Can there be more from these characters? There can definitely be more. Um I finished the third book with the idea where um, it could go on, but you could finish it right where, where it leaves off. So if you didn't continue, you wouldn't, you wouldn't break the immersion. But at the same time, if you did continue, there's a jumping on point. Okay. So we know that every literary universe, at least the good ones, have their own internally consistent rules of science and technology. So what sort of tech can we expect from these books? Um. There is a fair amount of nanotechnology and it's used. Uh, I consulted my friend about what is possible now and what could be possible in 200 years, 300 years, 500 years. And some of the things that um, that they talked about were absolutely mind blowing. Um, things like um, there's a really great video on YouTube that um, scientists have been studying the effect of for several years because they think it's it's one of the the best examples of a hive working together and it's a group of army ants invading a wasp nest to kill the wasps they basically create this big daisy chain of just their bodies to form a bridge so an assault element can enter the wasp hive kill the queen and let the the hive die and I was like, they, they're using things like that, like the, um, the, what do you call it? The, um, you know, that kind of symbiosis between a, a hive to mess with nanotechnology, to use like things like uh, connective chains of living tissue to heal injuries and stuff like that. Some of the, some of the things that they're thinking about doing in the next like couple hundred years. So imagine a patch um, like in the in the series Hunter's Moon, uh, the medics on scene, everybody carries everybody carries a slap patch, and slap stands for sear, laceration, um, acute trauma, and puncture. Right. So when you put this patch on, it's loaded with nanotechnology that can seal and start to start the healing process. It's not going to fix the the problem. It's still a band aid on a bullet hole. So you need like actual medic medical treatment after that. But, um, you know, that kind of technology uh, is stuff that they're working on today. So, That's yeah, awesome. yeah, put that in the book. Okay. So, Doc, you get to ask your favorite batch of questions right after the religion question. This is all you. Try not to mess it up. No pressure or anything. 
Oh, I love how JR thinks that I receive pressure. Um, so of all the tech you invented in the universe, which one would you use on daily? Um, probably their comms units. Um, okay. They call them cell comms, and it's a hybrid computer and communication system. Um, but it allows control over a variety of things um, for everything from vehicles to whatever. And even though that's technology that's being used today, I mean, your cell phone can start your car. You can, you can put, uh, you can put the security on in your home using your cell phone and stuff like that. Um, this is kind of that taken to the next level. So I think on a daily basis, if I had to use a piece of tech, it would definitely be that, especially in the setting for the holographic elements, uh, the cell um, can uh, can produce entire holographic maps. It can produce uh, schematics. It can, you know, full scenes. Imagine just setting your, you know, you get together with a bunch of people and you're hanging out on like uh, like a military deployment, and you got a couple of hours to kill because you're not gonna leave the wire for a little bit. You drop down that cellcom, and all of a sudden you're watching a movie as though you're in the middle of it because it produces a hologram that's. Um, that's totally immersive. So stuff like that, um, you could do crime scene reconstruction with it, you know, walk around the room with it, with a cell com, and it makes a 3d rendering of the room that you can, you could actually produce. Okay. So how would you abuse it? How would I abuse it? Yeah. Like anybody porn. <laughs> so, now i think for abusing it right. i would probably leave a cellcom in my dog's kennel so that um i wouldn't have to take him out to pee so much you know to talk to him to be like no calm down i'll take you out in a minute so that i wouldn't actually have to be in the room so um Sorry. <laughs> You're aliens. So you you have aliens. We've established mm -hmm. this, right? Mm -hmm. So did you go out of building them out of your weird nightmares? Because I'm sure they're weird. Or whole cloth or like a specific, like I'm aiming for something that weirds you out in this specific way. Some of them are weird. Um, some of them are uh, just like, you know, um, there's a, a group of um kind of like horned monkeys horned apes so nice, yes not horny that's why, horned. I wear that. that's why i wear the hat keeps the horns right in. so there's a there's a group <laughs> of horned apes and they're massive they they're they're absolute like combat monsters but in the setting they don't like to fight they're scientists they're pilots they're uh, they're very, they're, they're more intellectual than they, even though they look absolutely massive and, and angry, you know, like a, like, uh, you know, imagine crossing a bull with a gorilla, you know, they're just, they're just nasty, nasty looking things. They're very introspective. Um, they're very, uh, uh, very tech oriented. So when you start meeting them in the series, um, you know, they, they, come across as one thing and then you find out they're they're actually another that's so, pretty cool uh, an entire race of chill gorilla grads yeah you know <laughs> just just all they want to do is just learn you know and the the other side of that is the place that they're from they have a cousin uh a cousin species 
that is completely the other way. They're absolutely hostile and they're not as intelligent. They're, they're hyper tribal, hyper territorial, you know, and it's hard to tell one from the other. So when colonists first set down in their planet, they would often shoot the good ones because the bad ones looked so similar, you know, so kind of, you know, kind of, uh, kind of telling about humanity and how we, uh, look at a book's cover and judge immediately. So especially when the book, you know, did something to our no-no space. <laughs> Thank you, Nene. Uh -huh. All right. Or what I so call before, it that, space. before that gets any weirder than it already did, uh, clearly the interview's winding down. We're at 100, uh, 100, an hour and 43 minutes. So before yeah, we wrap this up, was there anything That's about the 100 minutes, Jer. Oh. Don't make me do math. Who who taught you math? Oh, public school. I will make you do math. So clearly, the internet, the internet. See what you did. The interview is winding down. But before we wrap it up, was We're there anything? About, <laughs> was there anything about the mongrel that you wanted to tell us we didn't ask? Um, just that uh, you know, I'm really hoping that people like it and that um, it was more written to save me from my thoughts um then uh you know than anything else so if if people if people enjoy it sorry about that my dog is getting upset that we're still sitting here and now he's moving entire cases of ammunition around <laughs> you have cases really um there's tic tacs in there so um the uh I really hope people enjoy it. You know, it was a lot of fun to write. Um, I really enjoy the characters. They're a lot of fun, especially the murder dog. Um, he's, he's absolutely hysterical. And every time I get to write stuff like that, that people will actually, you know, pick up and read uh, and tell me, Hey, you know, I really had a good time reading this. You know, that just, that just puts logs on the fire, man. It's, it's just absolutely a thrill. So, Normally, you know, we like to talk about all parts of the format, the book, and I know Atheon has a reputation for doing the simultaneous release. So can we expect audiobook, paperback, all of that when it goes live? Because right now, at the time we're doing the interview, this is still in pre-order. It's in pre-order, but the, um, the first book is going to be digital and audio same day. Sweet. I love it when that happens. So digital and audio same day. Um, they're still doing some formatting stuff that link for the the hard copy might hit at the same time um so yeah digital and audio same day hard copy might follow a day or two a week or two month or two it's just, it's a formatting issue so once they get it worked out we'll have our copies i'll be reading it on my data pad nice so on your data pad all right i see what you did there we call that a callback so the um the audiobook who's narrating it for you um yes so you don't know. Okay. I'm sure he will do, or <laughs> they, he will do they, the words well. They told me I, uh, I I have a Swiss cheese memory. Um, his first name is Ryan, though, I believe. It's a good name. It's my middle name. Damn straight. All right. So uh, as we before he dies over there in the bottom left corner, because he doesn't want to be in charge anymore, um, how can yeah. listeners find you? Um, if you just type my name in, Walt Robillard. Um, it usually comes up pretty much all over the place. Uh, face space, um, 
I'm most uh, active if you send me a direct message. Um, usually on FaceSpace, I only post about dogs and uh, uh, 10-year-old kids doing shooting competitions because I think that's awesome. Um, the, uh, you know, um, maybe some Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Uh, I don't really post a lot as far as social media goes. I'm just, I don't have the time. <laughs> uh, but you can go to my website, uh, hazardstudio.net. Um, all my contact animations there, as well as like links to social media, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, yeah, you know, you sign up for a newsletter. Uh, we did, uh, we had Kayleen Williams from Keystroke Medium uh, narrate the prequel novel or the prequel novelette. Um, if you sign up for the, um, the newsletter, you automatically get access to that. And uh, she did the audio for that. And then, uh, you know, we can obviously send you the, uh, the digital copy of that as well. Uh, it uh, takes place with another female main character in the series. Um, I love those. Be because of the, um, because of the nature of who she serves and how it, and how it affects the story, they call her the lioness. I'm aroused. I know where that came from, but intellectually, uh, intellectually, I'm aroused. So yeah, she's she's. Uh, um, if you go on our website, uh, there's a picture of um, it's a picture of a girl standing in front of a spaceship with like an ignited like laser sword. Um, that's her. That's uh, Mara, the lioness. And if you, like I said, if you sign up for the if you sign up for the newsletter, you get access to the audiobook for the prequel story, the lioness, uh, right away. Uh, it's about 25, 35 minute listen. Uh, and uh, Kayleen did a great job. She did a fantastic job. I can't, I can't ever hear the lioness's voice in my head now without it being Kayleen's voice. She did such a great job. Okay. And you can find us on all places over the interwebs. We have our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. We are working on setting up a, a direct blasters and blades website, but uh, time is, is of an essence and I don't have a lot of it right now. You can follow us also on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. We have an email at black Blasters and Blades podcast at gmail.com. All of the hate mail this week goes to Nick at Blasters and Blades podcast.com. Um, we Kuwait's have our Facebook group. not a deployment. I agree. Uh, we have our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash Blasters and Blades <laughs> podcast. It's super hard to remember. And you could support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comments that it's for the podcast, and we will make sure that money gets dispersed to keep Ranger Nick and Doc Seska duly intoxicated while I'm their sober driver on this journey through the interwebs of podcasting. And if you would also like, you can support us over on the anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades on a monthly subscription, much like Patreon. And that's a show. Doc, bring us home. Thank you for spending your precious time with us. For the actually present Nick Garber, JR, and JR Handley, the uh, long-suffering, I'm Seska. This was a Blasters and Blade Blades podcast. Next week, we'll be back here at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, drinks, all things cheesy jokes, pineapple on pizza, and torturing JR. You, you ruined it right at the end. You ruined it. Pineapple does not belong on pizza. It does. Only with jalapenos. So. Only with jalapenos. Pineapple is delish on pizza. Only with you were all a bunch of heathens.